This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, July 29th, 2023. Once again, thanks for joining with us. Today, we are wrapping up our three-message introduction into the incredible collection of God's wisdom that we know as the Old Testament book of Proverbs. If you missed the first two messages, I encourage you to check them out, because what we're doing here is laying a foundation before we begin to actually engage the text in earnest, which we will begin next week. Now, last week we explored the great overarching theme of Proverbs, which is wisdom, but not just any wisdom, the wisdom of Yahweh, the Lord, God's wisdom, which will always lead us to God as not just our source of wisdom, but as our source of life itself. We're going to start by looking at one of the more important attributes of wisdom within Proverbs, and it's how wisdom many times is personified as a woman. In fact, it's not uncommon for scholars on Proverbs to speak of the concept of wisdom within the entire book as woman wisdom. Last week, we read from Proverbs 3 this statement, where um, we believe almost certainly this is Solomon saying, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Right? And if you go on in that text, you see the text continue to present all these attributes of wisdom in a feminine form. It's woman wisdom. Likewise, this is really interesting, woman wisdom is also contrasted with woman folly. In Proverbs 9, the chapter begins and then ends by contrasting these two metaphorical women really in parallel forms. In Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6, we read this. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And then at the end of chapter 9, we read this. For folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Wow. So, friends, what we see here, by by the way, when we get to that in chapter 9, there is a lot there to talk about. But right now, just at a high level, what we see is that this great moral and spiritual force, wisdom, and the lack of it, are both described in the Proverbs as feminine, as women. But why? You know, if you go and study this yourself, you'll find that there are multiple different theories. 
But the bottom line is, well, we really don't know. One answer that some will give is that really this doesn't mean much of anything. It's just a cultural figure of speech, like how to this very day, men tend to give female names to things that they build and own or purchase, you know, like their boats. <laughs> but this would be to diminish what is likely far more profound. Now, friends, this is a speculation on my part, all right? I'll own that, but I think it's educated speculation. But in a world wholly dominated by men, the portrayal of wisdom, right, the central value of the entire Proverbs, right, the portrayal of wisdom as a woman was a deep call to humility. In a world where women were treated as property, often devalued, and at times even discarded, woman wisdom is external to man nothing of their own creation and nothing they control. It's essential to life and to be loved and valued above all else. You see, in a world that was all about men, it's almost as if God is saying to these men, guess what? It's not about you. And this is all the more interesting because Proverbs, like the culture into which it was written, is almost wholly oriented to the male. So before we go any further, we just have to talk for a second about gender and how we see it portrayed in Proverbs. In the Proverbs lectures, the father is always mentioned, but with few notable exceptions, and there are a few notable exceptions, but the mother is rarely mentioned. The father's words are always addressed to the son, never the daughter. The father warns his son against the unfaithful wife, but never the daughter against the unfaithful husband, which actually would have been more likely. Woman wisdom's words are almost always addressed to the male and into culturally masculine roles. The unfaithful wife and woman folly go after the uncommitted male, but there is no warning of the predatory man seeking to corrupt the uncommitted girl. Solomon warns against the unfaithful and quarrelsome wife but never mentions a good or bad husband. You know, the entire collection closes in Proverbs 31 with a description of the ideal wife, but there is no description of an ideal husband. And my friends, all of this has, com has contributed uh, with many other things to the harmful and erroneous idea that God's wisdom is just intended for men and not for women and that to possess true spiritual wisdom is the exclusive domain of the man. And this is important. I, I bring this up because, well, one, it's an important thing that we see in Proverbs that we need to talk about, but because there's a long history in the Christian world, in the church, of elevating men at the expense of women and of giving a pass to the foolishness of many men while diminishing the wisdom of many women. And friends, this idea persists to this day. And in fact, is it is increasing in quarters of Christian culture. And this is not only to the great detriment of the church and its mission, it's also unbiblical. I want us to consider what else we see here in Proverbs. 
and looking now chiefly, well, exclusively right now, at Proverbs 31, right? Very, very famous, right? It's the end of the book, but the content here is one part of the, the best well-known um, sections of all of the Proverbs. In any case, this is Proverbs 31.1, introduces the chapter by saying, the sayings of King Lemuel. An inspired utterance his mother taught him. We covered this in our introductory sermon, but this likely is a note added by the final inspired editor and compiler of the entire Proverbs collection. And this person points out that while Proverbs 31 is attributed to the king, the the inspired source of this wisdom is actually Lemuel's mother. You know, in the famous description of the godly wife that follows, we see this woman excelling in roles that are almost always reserved for the male, right? In commerce, investment, leadership. Proverbs 31, verses 16 and 18 says, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. More importantly is what we see in verse 26. For the, the writer, right, King Lemuel, what his mother taught him, says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. In other words, not only does this woman possess and speak with wisdom, she is an instructor of this wisdom to her family. For her to possess this wisdom means that she would also have been instructed in godly wisdom herself as a young girl alongside her brothers. The bottom line is that the male-centric nature of Proverbs is a reflection of the male-centric culture into which it spoke and still speaks. The masculine and feminine roles that we see represented in Proverbs are descriptive of the Proverbs culture, not prescriptive for masculine and feminine roles for all time. But, friends, it's again, importantly, this does not diminish the inspiration of Proverbs. Rather, it calls for wisdom in how we interpret and apply this inspired scripture in a way that equally speaks into the lives of both men and women, boys and girls. You know, this is underscored by Paul, by, by, by Paul's rather famous declaration in Galatians 3.28, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, friends, there is a lot there. And if this is um, a topic that you wonder if there's bigger things here to talk about, man, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. But it's very, very relevant in the church today. And friends, with these words of Paul in mind, I now want to turn to the essential perspective on the wisdom of Proverbs for us today as followers of Christ. You see, as miraculous and precious are the wisdom of Proverbs, this wisdom bows before an eternally greater wisdom. And this is the wisdom and grace of God that has been made manifest to us in Jesus Christ. So this is the point that I want us to look at. Friends, as we go through Proverbs, we are going to employ multiple different lenses, right? Interpretive and application lenses, um, cultural, linguistic, poetic. But the most important lens that we need to always have 
is the lens of the person and wisdom, the character and nature of God in Jesus Christ. To put it succinctly, the teaching and wisdom of Proverbs must always yield to the character and nature of God that we see in Jesus. So let's unpack this just a bit, okay? First of all, one thing is in the Gospels, Jesus himself proclaims that he is bringing, that he represents a wisdom that is greater than the wisdom of Solomon. That would be the Proverbs. In Luke eleven thirty one. 31, by the way, the context here is Jesus teaching on judgment. But just hear this one point. Jesus says, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Now, Jesus refers to a story from 1 Kings where the queen of Sheba, who traveled right, from great, great distance, the ends of the earth, she traveled seeking the wisdom of Solomon. And he says, and listen, something far, far greater has now arrived, right? Speaking of himself. Another contrast, Solomon emphasized health and wealth now while minimizing present sufferings, right? Solomon, as we go through the Psalms, we will see an emphasis on the blessings and reward of wisdom while we are here on earth right now, okay? Listen to this emphasis, right? As I read from Proverbs 3, this is the blessing that comes from wisdom. Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 7 through 10. Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity, right? Very much here and now. Um, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, and this will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, right? What's the result? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And of course, this is wisdom. These are good things. These are blessings, but in contrast, Jesus emphasized present suffering for the sake of righteousness, with our blessing and our reward being in heaven. So listen to the emphasis that Jesus brings of what it looks like to be blessed. And here we're reading from Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. And this, of course, is the passage of the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Friends, the point is, is the wisdom of Solomon looks to the blessings of positive circumstances and outcomes. The wisdom of Jesus looks to the blessings of being a part of the kingdom of God. But going on, another contrast. Solomon speaks opaquely, right? That word means it's hard to see, a bit hard to discern. Solomon speaks opaquely about eternal life. But in contrast, Christ, by his resurrection, brings eternity, eternal life, into the present. Proverbs 8.35, an example, says, For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Okay, so we can look at that. It gets a bit opaque, but it's pointing to what the life that only God can bring. But again, by contrast, in the New Testament, with the work of Christ, right, eternal life is on every page, right? Not just heaven when we die, but right now. Romans 6, 4 and 5, um, where Paul says, we were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, of course, and this is where Paul proclaims that that resurrection is right now. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, the old is gone, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Right? This going on could totally get off track right there. But Solomon's wisdom is from God, but Christ is God. Solomon failed to live his own wisdom perfectly, but Christ perfectly lived out his teaching. Hebrews 4.15, the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet never sinned, right? Speaking, of course, of Christ. Just a few more thoughts. Friends, Solomon teaches us to feed our enemies. Proverbs 5, 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And then, but when we look into the New Testament, right? It would say, yes, of course, we do that. Paul quoted this. But even more, Christ didn't just teach us to feed our enemies, Christ died for his enemies. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, hear me. The Proverbs are an incredible gift, right? We do not set them aside. As one New Testament scholar put it, we would no sooner discard a $10 bill because we had a $100 bill then we would discard the Proverbs because we possess the greater wisdom of Jesus. And yet, we must remember to view the wisdom of Proverbs through the lens of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And friends, on that note, just one more thought and example when it comes to the wisdom and the nature of Jesus. And this I'm going to take from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes 
from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, right, the wisdom of God, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. For peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Ah, what a powerful passage. And friends, there's an implied relationship here. It's between the person of wisdom and understanding and the people and community around them. You see, in Proverbs, as we go through it, and if you just read through it yourself, there will be a temptation, right? And this has been a temptation the church has wrestled with, right, from the word go, this temptation to see the Proverbs as a formula for how wisdom primarily benefits the self, right? How I can use wisdom to benefit me personally. But the wisdom, in contrast, the wisdom of God in Christ considers how it is a blessing to those around them, to the community, how it makes the world a better place. Friends, the wisdom of God in Christ will never lead us to violate the nature of God in Christ. It will never devalue another person. It will never mock and belittle. It will never elevate the value of one person to God above the value of another person to God. And when we are being led by the wisdom of God, this will always be expressed in how we live out the character of God in Christ within our relationships and the community around us. You see, just to restate that one last time, in God's wisdom, we have received, oh, my friends, we have received a love of such magnitude that it is, that it is beyond our comprehension. May God's wisdom within us then result in this love being shown through us to everyone around us. And by everyone, we mean everyone. This is the wisdom of Christ. And this is the wisdom of God. And as we look through that lens, we will see it as the wisdom of the Proverbs. Friends, thanks so much for being with me today, and I look forward to being here with you next week as we jump into the text in Proverbs chapter 1.